Well, as you can see from the sermon title, we're, we're, for a few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the major prayers of the New Testament uh, that apply to us as believers and that we get to participate in and pursue as effective disciples of Jesus. And the recognition that uh, prayer is one of the most, I would say, one of the most neglected resources among Christians. Uh, every one of us in this room, I expect, uh, is active in prayer. Every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ is active in prayer. And yet we get to keep growing. We get to keep recognizing that it's meant to be more and stronger and deeper than we're probably enjoying and experiencing right now. So uh, again, as we study, the point will not be measuring some degree of failure in our prayer, but of trying to gain a vision of how will we grow how will we strengthen? How will we become more effective in our prayers? So we have, out of this prayer, we have this promise in James 5.16. And many of you are familiar with that verse. And what he says here is he says the effective, uh, the, the fervent prayer That the fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. It's effective. And one of the things that I think, I know because of how frequently I've heard of it, is a lot of times as believers we read that promise that the fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, and we'll go ahead and, and uh, gender-free it, uh, of a righteous son or daughter of God, and the recognition that very easily we look at that passage and disqualify ourselves. Well, at my current rate of growth, I figure in about 75 years I'll be ready for an effective prayer. Uh, that we're, we're measuring ourselves against something or someone. And we don't have time to go through all this today, but that one, of the, one of the challenges I think we need to accept, one of the new ways of thinking, is righteousness is about growth, not comparison. So if I look at a brand new baby Christian, or even someone who's been a Christian for many years, but is just now finally choosing to get up and grow, and I compare them to somebody who has been growing for decades... I should see a difference. That's called growth. But that, that brand new baby Christian or that believer who's just now getting active with God won't look like that decade's faithful grower, but God will be delighted and pleased with them. Their righteousness is that they are in sync with God to keep growing. A 10-year-old growing is different than a believer at 50 years growing for decades. But the righteousness before God is, first of all, we're standing on the righteousness of Christ for our identity, but we're also in agreement, I want to keep on growing. And God will say, truly, literally, I love that attitude. That is a righteous attitude that you're willing to grow. So that you never 
ever believe the enemy when he says, well, compare yourself to someone else. And because you don't look as good as them, or at least in your eyes, you don't think you're as far along as them. That is not the point of this promise. Am I on track to keep growing in Jesus Christ? Is there a genuine agreement to keep growing? As God brings me a challenge, will I accept that challenge? As God shows me another area of sin or weakness to overcome, do I make it my agenda with God to address that thing? When he shows me another aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, and he shows me that I'm I'm not yet exhibiting that in a mature way, do I agree to pursue growth? That's righteousness. Based on the righteousness of Christ that is my standing, that's righteousness in the heart of God is our willingness to keep on actively growing. In that sense, unrighteousness is I'm content with where I am and I'm willing to stay right here. So Father, love you, look forward to seeing you one day, but don't mess with me. That's unrighteous. So also foolish and destructive. So he's looking for that heart of growth and that pleases him. And he says, now you're standing in a good place because of your heart commitment to grow. You're standing in a good place for me to hear and respond to your prayers effectively. Now, we had uh, read for us this morning, Ephesians 1, 3 through 23, which happens to be one of my favorite passages in in scripture because it, it is just a majestic description of our standing in Christ. Uh, and that's not the point right now. But um, a couple of you have, have mentioned this to me. So I want to sort of veer aside for just a second and reiterate this. Actually, several of you have said this, that out of the challenge from, um, I guess, two weeks ago to be growing out of that identity in Christ handout, to find areas on that handout that are challenging for growth and to be pursuing that with God and gathering ammunition. I want to keep encouraging you to do that. This gets to be, 2020 gets to be a year of growth, not just a year of continuing to be exactly where we are, but of movement forward. And there is, there is such a strong foundation for that growth in getting an agreement with God over who he says we are and then bringing that thinking into difficult moments, into moments of temptation, moments of challenge, moments of need, that we're growing in this agreement. Father, everything that I've inherited in Christ, I want to learn to think that way. And if I see an area where I can tell I don't really think that way yet, I may believe it's true, but I don't think that way, that gets to be a focus of gathering biblical ammunition for growth. So I want to encourage you, keep doing that. Keep looking for that pursuit of growth that's anchored and founded on agreement with God. But as we're, as we're looking here at the Ephesians prayer, and here's, here's the prayer we're going to be focusing on. It's verses 15 to 23. So the first part of the prayer, again, is that wonderful reiteration of, of our standing and our position and our inheritance in Christ. But then Paul turns to this. He says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So the first thing that's prayed here is thanks. 
And again, we're going to keep looking at this and, and all the prayers that we look at. We're going to look at it in terms of how does that change my prayer for others in this body? How does that transform or deepen my intercession for other believers right here in this fellowship and, and you for me and each of us for each other? And Paul frequently does this. He starts with gratitude. And his gratitude is focused on two basic things. He sees their faith and he sees their love. And the recognition that we have in, in uh, Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, most of you could finish that passage. Many of you could finish that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And just later in the book of Ephesians, we have the whole foundation of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that recognition that faith means I'm believing God and I'm acting on it. It's not just an intellectual thing. I'm believing Him and I act on it. And Paul is, is thankful that he looks at the Ephesian believers and he's saying, here's one thing I see about you guys. You learn things from God. You hear things from God. Myself and the other teachers and, and apostles, we teach you things and you accept it and then you go act on it. It's an active faith. It's a growing, mature faith. But he's also recognizing this. I see in you, and he says, a love for all the saints. That there is a growing maturity to your love as well. You don't just pick your favorites. You don't just say, well, here's the people who think like me. Here's the people who vote like me. Here's the people who like doing on vacation what I like doing on vacation. Here's the people who watch my TV shows and read my books. Here's the people who like my teachers and their favorite verse is my favorite verse. Those are the people I like hanging out with. So one of the things that's real clear in Scripture, you get to like people that you want to hang out with. That's okay. But that we're also saying, but Father, as I interact with believers, I want every believer I interact with more and more and more to be the focus of active love. Everybody won't be my, my buddy. Everybody won't hang out with me. But when we're together, we nourish one another. When we're together, we encourage one another. When we're together, we exercise our gifts into each other's lives. We love all the saints. And we won't go down this journey right now. But that means I have to pay attention to my life. I have to pay attention to my relationships and say, Father, are there any places where I'm eliminating someone from the opportunity of my love when we interact? Is there someone I've not forgiven? Is there someone that I, I hold at arm's length because of that unforgiveness? Then, Father, help me to be more active in loving people who aren't like me. Help me to be more active in, in pursuing forgiveness wherever it's a barrier. So that, that's part of what he's saying thank you for. Now, one of the things that uh, just came up this week, somebody was complaining to me about another Christian they knew. And it's a Christian they actually respect. And it's a Christian they look up to. But they said, as much as I respect and look up to this believer, it's, it's not fun to hang out with them. Because they always have something negative to say about another believer. That there was some sense of self-righteousness or judgment against other believers. 
That's an ugly thing. <laughs> so we get to again make sure that when I'm fellowshipping with believers, I want to make sure that my words, my actions, my attitudes are uplifting. Not because I, I pretend things, but I know what I'm focused on. So we have in Philippians 4, now finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And if I'm always dwelling on what a screw-up you are, or you're always dwelling on, on how far I have to go to be as good as you, that negativity will come out of our mouth. It will come out of our attitudes and it will damage the body of Christ. And by the way, that person I was describing is not in this church fellowship. So don't, don't be looking around going, well, who is that snarky self-righteous? <laughs> not in the room. Or at least not in the room that I know of. But that recognition that we get to recognize, Paul was thankful because he saw faith, he saw love, and his attitude toward the Ephesians was gratitude for their standing with God. Now, one of the things that is absolutely miraculous, and, and I, I hope we recognize this in some ways. I just dismantled the pen again, I think. <laughs> we'll see. But that recognition that every time I'm looking at a believer, how old were you when you accepted Christ? Uh, About. Unknown. unknown. Okay. But you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, you have. I've talked to you enough to know that. This is a supernatural miracle sitting on the front row. You too. This is a supernatural miracle. That this young life belonged to the enemy. And at some point, this young life heard the Spirit speaking to his heart. And he said, yes. And this room is full of supernatural miracles. And we get so used to hanging out with believers, we take for granted what a miracle every believer is. What an absolute miracle every believer is. And if, the, if we were going through persecution, Mark was saying, you know, thankfully so far, we're not really enduring physical persecution in this country. But if we were, if we had to hide, if we had to run, if we had to meet in secret, Every believer we met would be the best part of our day. We're supposed to think that way now without waiting for persecution. And Paul is exhibiting that attitude where he says, every time I think about you guys, I start with gratitude. I start thanking God for what a miracle you are. And I watch your faith growing and I watch your love growing and I cannot help but say, Father, thank you that their faith is real and they're maturing, and they're growing in love for other believers. That gets to be part of our attitude. He goes on to this, and he says, that the God of our Father, as he continues praying, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So after thanks... I think I really did dismantle my pen. Let's try it again. Oh, I think I think I think this will work. 
I am a tech guru. Okay. He says, wisdom and revelation in knowing God. Knowing Him. And, and again, what he's praying for is something supernatural. He's not saying, I hope you guys went to seminary and studied a lot of Greek and Hebrew. That's wonderful if you get the chance to do that. I am not knocking that. I would love to go do that. But what he's saying is, I pray that there will be something supernatural as you study the Word of God, that there will be something genuinely supernatural occurring between you and God, that you're depending on God to show you things that are not simply intellectually available. That this is about supernatural wisdom and revelation. And, and you and I have a strong tendency, and I'd say our culture reinforces this, we have a strong tendency to depend on what our intellect can grab. I can study a Bible verse, and without any prayer, without any dependence on the Holy Spirit, if I just know how the English language works, I could tell you a lot about that verse. And then I could go out and live my day no wiser. And I could go out and face moments and, and face the, the interaction of, of myself with the world and have no larger vision of God's presence with me, even though I analyzed the language of a verse. And what, what Paul is praying for is that there would be a revelation, something that can only be shown to you and shown to me because we're looking to God, depending on God, listening to God, and he shows us something larger. Now, I know that many of you have had this moment. I know you have. Um, where you're studying the Word of God and you suddenly see something that you've never seen before. You suddenly make a connection you never made before. You see a verse that you've read and that word you've read maybe hundreds of times through your life. But today, you see a layer, a dimension of truth to that that enlarges your vision of God, deepens your confidence in God, helps you understand that right now the Holy Spirit is actually speaking to you. And that's not always about, that's not about an emotional thing. That's not whether you had a warm, fuzzy feeling or a beam of light shined on you from heaven. But that you saw more of God and your relationship with Him in the Word. And it didn't come just from your intellect. That's what Paul's praying for, what we get to pray for each other. That I'm praying that as you study the Word, as we do our Bible studies, and women and men go to different Bible studies, as we go to different prayer groups, as we meet in each other's homes for fellowship, as we come to church on Sunday morning, that we're praying for each other to comprehend something deeper about our love relationship with God and deeper about knowing Him and Him knowing us that equips us for life. And he goes on to say this, I pray that your heart, eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And we'll see in a second what he wants us enlightened about. But first it's recognizing what he's praying for here. He's praying that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. That we would see more that's in our inner being. And part of this is, is recognizing he's talking about our inner being. That is related to will. To choice. 
to passion. What it motivates us. To our priorities. Where our treasures are. He's saying, I'm praying that there in that inner being where you choose treasures, where you choose priorities, where, where you bring passion and will and, and impetus and movement to your life, I'm praying that that's where you will experience a larger vision, an enlightened understanding. And here's what he's praying for. Enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling? What is the riches? Whoops, whoops, come back. The riches of this inheritance? And then finally, power. What is the power for the saints? So, again, recognizing, he's saying, I want you to grow this. I don't want you to just have an intellectual understanding. I want your inner being to start learning more about the hope. We've talked about this dozens of times, I believe. For a believer, this is about certainty, not a wish. I'm trying to not smear my other things while I write. So it's, there is an eye in there. <laughs> that the hope of my calling is certain. And scripture covers that several times in the New Testament. That all the aspects of my calling are not yet fulfilled. So right now, I, you know, several of us were talking earlier this morning, you know, and recognizing how mangled this earth is. How unfinished and broken this society is. And life on planet earth, how unsatisfying some aspects of it are. The world itself is an amazingly beautiful place. But human society on this earth definitely has some ugly aspects. And sadly, part of the ugliness of this world is me, my unfinished sin, your unfinished sin. We stand before God holy and blameless. That's part of what Deborah read out of this passage. We stand in front of him holy and blameless. But in our day-to-day -day life, we can say, Father, I'm not ex yet experiencing the fullness of that holiness I'm not yet experiencing the fullness of the character of Jesus Christ in me. I'm not yet living out the fullness of, of the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus Christ expressed through me. But you know what? It is an absolute certainty that I will reach perfection in those things. You're going to like me better then. It is an absolute certainty that you are destined, as a believer, you are destined to reach completion in all those callings. You will be fully transformed into the likeness of Christ. You will be the fullness of everything God designed you to be. Here on the planet, we get to grow in that. 
And, I, and in fact, John, in, in 1 John 3, 1 and 2, he, he says, if we really comprehend that, that our transformation is coming, we don't just sit around on our rear end going, that's going to be a good day. What we say is, because I believe in that day, I want to get up and grow now. He said, everyone who has this hope, hope, who has this hope, it's a certainty of calling. It's a certainty of destiny. Everyone who sees this absolute certainty of destiny matures. It's not instantaneous. Matures into believing. Father, if that's where I'm headed, let's go there now. Let's move in that direction now. Everyone who has this hope in themselves purifies themselves. That we get to look at ourselves and find the unholy and recognize I'm in alliance with God and I'm opposed to that unholiness in me and I pursue growth in opposition to that unholiness. So the certainty of this calling also leads it's not doing anything is it? Okay, the certainty of this calling means I pursue it now. But then he goes on to this, and he says the riches of, in, of his inheritance. How many people here, no, you don't, this is not about a show of hands, sort of an internal assessment, would recognize there are times in life where I face a moment feeling undersupplied. And while he was fixing that, I was trying to destroy that. <laughs> Thank you. And so that, that idea of poverty versus riches. That he's saying, I really am praying that the inner being of your heart, what motivates you, what what gives you impetus to keep moving forward, would grow in this recognition that you see, I am, well, I forgot the last part of that word. I am well supplied. I am well supplied for the moment. So, think back over this past week. Was there a moment where you faced a financial situation and you didn't feel well supplied? I'm emphasizing the word feeling. That you didn't feel well supplied. Was there a moment of ministry to somebody? Somebody that you suddenly had opportunity to pray with them or to try to encourage them or to try to help them see the truth and you were thinking, man, I wish that other person was here because I don't feel well supplied for this moment. Or you were facing a moment of temptation and the enemy was pushing and the flesh was pushing and you felt poorly supplied for that moment. You thought, I don't have what it takes to defeat the enemy. All of those moments were the moments that Paul is praying for and that you and I get to be praying for each other, that we, we can say for each other, Father, the next time Reg faces that moment of temptation, the next time Reg faces that moment of ministry, or the next time he faces a moment of physical need in his life, Father, help him remember this. He is well supplied for God's purposes. But help him to remember it not just in his intellect where he can remember a verse, 
Help him remember it in his inner being where it changes his priorities. So if I feel poorly supplied for any moment, and I can tell the verse where God will supply all my needs in Christ Jesus, and my intellect says that, but in my inner being, I'm still believing I'm, I'm poorly supplied, I will probably be defeated in that moment. That's what Paul's praying for, for the Ephesians, that you and I get to pray for each other, is Father, in each other's inner being, help us grow in comprehending that we are well supplied with riches. There will never be a moment, this is so hard to comprehend, but true, there will never be a moment in your life or my life where later we go to heaven and God goes, you know, back there July 3rd in the year 2027, I, I didn't show up with enough. I'm sorry. I left you poorly supplied. That moment will never happen. Now, there will be many moments when we don't have faith in that supply, but that's what Paul's praying will grow. But the supply is adequate for God's purposes. So if I say, Father, I need $10,000. We got to get this thing done. And God never supplies the $10,000, literally never supplies it. Then I can say, Father, evidently, I didn't need to get that thing done to accomplish your purposes. It may have felt real important to me, but Father, if it was your will for me to get that thing done and write that check, you absolutely would have supplied it. And every one of us who's a believer has, has experienced those moments where miraculous provision showed up. Every believer, I bet, in this room has experienced a moment like that. And then another moment where the miraculous provision didn't show up. And that must have been when God screwed up. Or... It was the moment when God said, you don't really need it. I'm not, I'm not neglecting my love or my care or my provision. Now, sometimes what he does is he provides another way. And part of our, part of our growing study as we look at prayers in the New Testament, God will keep addressing that too. That our comprehension of the faithfulness of God starts getting more dimensions for trust. It's not what do I see in front of me what do I know about you? Not what do I see in front of me, but what do I know about you? Now, after he says, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? He tells us what kind of power. This is the power of resurrection. He says all the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead... And to raise him, this is the power of ascension, of Jesus rising, not just from the dead, but rising to be seated at the right hand of God. And it's also the power of sovereignty. Oops, let's go back to black. Because now Jesus is in a position of authority where every name, power, every dominion, Every authority has been placed under his feet. And then God says, and all of that, his resurrection, his ascension, and his power and sovereignty over the entire universe have been given to you, the church. And again, what he's praying for is that we would learn to think that way in our inner being. That we're not intimidated by circumstances. We're seeking his will. And then if we believe we see his will... 
then we're confident that the provision is there. And this is about everyday life. The main areas where we need to grow are almost always about relationships. Not only, but almost always. And that's one, way, one area where we frequently limit our belief and our confidence in the power of God, whether it's about ourselves or someone else, is, Father, I've been this way for 50 years. I don't think you can change me. Father, he or she's been this way for 50 years. I'm, I'm really sure you're not going to change them. And that recognition, that recognition that we get to say, I am confident, Father, that if I walk with you, you'll have what I need for transformation. And I get to be praying for this other person that if they walk with you, you have what they need for transformation. And Father, I'm agreeing with you that it is the power of Jesus' resurrection that I'm founding this promise on. It is the power of your son's ascension above every authority and then his sovereignty over the universe. That's what I'm founding my belief that I can grow in this area. So we we're talking about using the, the handout, the ID handout for growing in our challenges of coming to agree more and more with God. That is a good application of this. That when I look at something and it doesn't even seem real, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem doable for me. Then I'm believing in my power instead of his power. Then I'm believing in his, I'm believing in my sovereignty instead of his sovereignty. And so that's a, an important challenge. When you're looking at your marriage, when you're looking at your relationship with children, with parents, with brothers and sisters, with others in the body of Christ, when you're looking at your relationship to money or need, you're looking at health challenges, you're looking at all kinds of disappointments or frustrations in life, that we get to say, Father, this is an area where I get to grow in knowing more about you than the circumstances and basing this on the resurrection and the ascension and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Not to get my will done, but to get your will done. And we get to be praying this for one another. We also get to be in agreement for ourselves in these areas. Let's pray together. Father, again, it's, it's actually frustrating, but there is always more. Deeper, stronger, richer. There's always more that we can harvest in one sitting. But fortunately, we get to keep coming back to your word over and over and over again. Together and individually. We get to keep harvesting more. But Father, I thank you that you've taught us some things that we can run with. That if we're willing to, we can run with the things you've shown us. That we can go deeper. In how we give thanks for one another. We can go deeper, Father, in being aware of and then filled with gratitude over seeing each other's faith and love. And Father, we get to pray for each other's growth in this. That we would comprehend with our inner being who we really are to you and who you are to us. That we would comprehend more and more in our inner being the absolute certainty of our destiny. The incredible riches of your provision that we will not face a moment, Father. This is hard to grasp, Father, but that we will literally never face a moment 
where you have not fully supplied everything we need to carry out your purposes. And Father, that may be frustrating because you didn't show up with what we wanted for our purposes. But you will always be generously supplying us with everything we need emotionally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, everything we need to please you. Thank you for these things, Father. Thank you for this calling. Thank you for these riches. Thank you for this power. And thank you that you revealed your heart for us through the, through the heart of Paul as he prayed for the Ephesians that we now get to pray for one another. Help us to pick this up, Father, and run with it. In Jesus' name, amen.